So, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you would open them uh, up with me to uh, Daniel, we are, or we have been, in a series <clears throat> working our way through the entire book. It started back in the middle of summertime, and so if you haven't been able to hear all of the installments, you can always go to our website, www.centraliachurch.com, and we have our whole archive of sermon videos, so if you want to catch up on any of the chapters in Daniel, you can uh, do so on our website. And today, we are in chapter 11 and 12, and so really what we're doing this morning is coming to the conclusion of our, kind of our chapter study on the book of Daniel. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 all form one unit, which is the final vision that's given to Daniel. Last week, we talked about chapter 10, specifically about uh, fasting and prayer, and, and then uh, chapter 11 and 12. Today, we get to the to the meat of what his final vision is. So, a little bit of a, a recap. Chapter 10 sets the stage for chapter 11 and 12. Chapter 10, we found uh, Daniel in this time of intense prayer and fasting. And the word intense is important. Sometimes I think we pray casually. And we just kind of go through our list and wander through life, and, you know, we just toss up our prayers here and then that's okay, but sometimes prayer needs to be intense. And this is a moment where Daniel is really focused on hearing a word from the Lord. And so he has set aside a time to pray and a time to fast. And he is... Um, it says that he had to persevere through a period of time because he, was not, he did not sense that he was getting the word from the Lord that he was looking for. The word didn't come back from God maybe as quickly as he felt that it should or had in the past. So for three weeks, 21 days, he has set aside time to, to pray and to fast. And in chapter 10... Um, we, we know that at the end of this 21 days that, that an angel came to him and he was totally overwhelmed. Like this angel comes into his presence. And so he's overwhelmed. And, and uh, when you have an experience with the holy God of the universe, you tend to be a little overwhelmed and you come undone because you begin to realize um, the difference between where your condition is and where God's holy and perfect condition is. And Daniel has one of these moments that he just falls flat on his face. He is, he is out. He recognized his own poverty in spirit in comparison to God. And so he's just laying flat on the ground. And several times in chapter 10, we're told that the angel reached out and, and touched him. began to restore his strength. He, he moved from being flat on the ground to, to being on his all fours. 
And then he was touched again, and the, the angel touched his lips like, you know, he was, he was cleansed and he was purified to be in the presence of, of holy God. And then the third time that he was touched, he was able to, his strength restored enough that he was able to stand upright in the presence of God and receive the message. Chapter 10 begins to, or it, it, it pulls back the curtain between uh, heaven and earth. There, there's talk about angels and communicating uh, with them. And so in chapter 10, we get this glimpse of the realities of the physical realities and, and the spiritual dimension. And the angel tells Daniel that his prayer had been heard. And if you read closely, it says, your prayer was heard when you first spoke it. But we were a little busy in the spiritual realm. We were fighting this large-scale war in the spiritual realm. I was dealing with the prince of Persia, and I couldn't come and deal with you right away, Daniel, but your prayer was heard from the moment that you spoke it out loud. You know, when we get to chapter 10, we, we're not told that Daniel is in any kind of imminent trouble. He's probably in his 80s at this time. He had been in exile for a long time in Babylon and then, and then Persia. And so he's kind of used to being away from where he was taken back in, in Judah long ago. He had risen to power and leadership, a good administrator. He was a wise person. He helped many, an emperor in his day, pointed a lot of people to God, I think. But here he is along the banks of a river, and he's flat on his face before God because he's troubled about something. See, he had read the prophets, and he knew that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and said that the, that the people would be uh, punished for their rebellion against God, and it would be for a period of 70 years. Well, Daniel's been in exile coming up on 70 years. And he's troubled in his spirit because he doesn't see any change. He doesn't see that that exile may be winding down, and he, he wants an answer. How long, Lord? How long? And God, through an angel, came to him and spoke words of reassurance. I heard you, Daniel. And, and chapter 10 just helps us maybe get a glimpse of greater realities than our own. You know, when we come together, when we profess the name of Christ, we join together as, as the, the body of Christ. And we become part of a much greater reality than, than just we are in and of, our, of ourselves. And, and Daniel gets a picture that your prayers are being added with, with many others. And, and there are things going on in both the real world and in the spiritual world that sometimes there's, 
it seems like a really long delay before God gets around to attending to us. And that can be frustrating. But God gives him this picture that, Daniel, I, I heard you. You can trust that. You can know that. But you can also get this picture that you are part of something that's much bigger than you can even imagine yourself. And that kind of lays the groundwork for chapter 11 and for chapter 12. Because once Daniel is brought to his feet and the angel, I think, makes this estimation like, okay, he's strong enough, I can give him this vision, I can give him this picture. And so the angel speaks some things to him in chapter 11, and it says that the angel gives him a, a word of truth, which was a prophetical vision about the future, both the immediate and the far-reaching future for, for Daniel. And for Daniel, at his moment in time, what the angel tells him is all about things that are to come, nothing that he has experienced already. For us, when we read this text, a lot of it is history. We can go back through the pages of our history books and we can find documented the very things that the angel gave a picture of, of Daniel to that, that pointed him to things that are to come in the future. <clears throat> but this portion of history is mostly glossed over in our textbooks. So if you go to you know, high school and, and even college world history classes, they're more survey-oriented you know, you, you jump from, you know, uh, grand figures, big events in history, and, and that's how you kind of find your points along the way. And, and so, the, the time period that we're talking about here from about uh, 536 B.C. to 160 B.C., so that's 376 years right there, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's just a blip on the radar, and we're dealing with emperors and kings of, of a lower level. You know, they're not these grand figures, most of them. And so we, we, we tend to just kind of bounce over this. And, and if, you, if you're looking at, if, if you have your Bible in front of you, you get to the end of the Old Testament, and then it, it flips over from Malachi to Matthew, and there's a, there's a gap in time there that's several hundred years long. We call it the intertestamental time. And a lot of what the angel is telling Daniel in chapter 11 falls into this intertestamental time, and so it's not even history that we can look back and, and find in our Bibles. Chapter 11 is this uh, extended description of kings and their exploits and their deceptive alliances, uh, and they're kind of given in these broad brush uh, strokes, but they're stunningly stunningly accurate. What the angel tells Daniel, you can trace back through history and point after point after point. It's accurate. Now, this accuracy, it, it's a little too accurate for some people. Some people will read this text and they'll, they'll lay it over their history book and they'll recognize that what the angel told Daniel uh, was spot on in most places. And that for them, it's too accurate that nobody could predict the future events with as much precision as Daniel did when, when he 
wrote this down. These people believe that Daniel was written in the second century, so somewhere in the, maybe in the 160s. Um, they, they prescribed to the notion that, that this was all telling Daniel's story from a long time after it happened. And so, from this point in the future, you could certainly write prophecy backwards. And so, uh, they don't dismiss that there's the theology of, of the text, but they, have, they come at it from a different perspective. In other words, um, somebody, an author in the 160s, when, when the people of Israel were, were under the most brutal uh, persecution under Antiochus Epiphanes, and, and they are getting picked on and killed, and so the author writes Daniel's story, and, he's, and, and, and he writes this prophecy of things that actually happened after, you know, after the fact as a way to encourage the people that God will remain faithful, that your suffering will only last for a time, and after that, there will be new life. Other people, including your pastor, believe that the book of Daniel was written during his, his own time, uh, and that this is, in fact, prophecy, predictive prophecy, if you will. I'm of the opinion that the, one of the main reasons that we have the book of Daniel in our Bible is to help us establish a biblical worldview. Uh, I think that we have it um, in our scriptures to uh, remind us that God is both interested and active in our world today. Um, it's a book that helps us uh, view life that, and, and see that there is a supernatural dimension to it. Uh, it helps us to believe in the possibilities of, of miracles. Uh, it helps to remind us that that God speaks into our world in prophetic ways, even today. Now, certainly, there are points in your life where you can pause and you can look back and you can pinpoint the way God has been faithful. And that can be a very encouraging thing to do because sometimes in the moment we lose sight that God is remaining faithful to us. And sometimes it's years later when we have to turn around and connect all of the dots to tell our story. But I think in this case, Daniel has gotten this vision from the angel that's pointing him forward. And from whichever side of the coin that you fall on, you can read the book of Daniel and, and you can see how God is faithful to his word and to his people. See, we live, in a, we live in a world that's full of people who want to be able to explain everything. So they read this, and, and there's no way anybody could be that accurate. They take a more naturalistic view, and, and they re reject the possibility of supernatural occurrences like that. I'm of the opinion that they exist, and we ought to be aware of them. I'm not going to read all of chapter 11, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, 
you're going to have to plow your way through it. If you haven't read Daniel 11 before, it'll make your head spin. That's good for you. Um, quick summary of chapter 11. The major focus of, of the chapter is on the, the third kingdom. Now, we've talked about a couple dreams and visions, one of Nebuch- that Nebuchadnezzar had of the big tall statue, the head of gold, remember, and the chest of silver and the torso of bronze and the legs of, of iron. And Babylon, remember, was the gold head. And, and then we had Persia. And, um, <clears throat> and then the torso was, was the Greek empire. And then the iron legs were the Roman empire. And then in chapter 7, when Daniel had the, his first vision and he saw the great sea of chaos and the winds churning up the water and bringing up these beasts out of the deep, uh, there was a lion and a bear and a leopard. So, most of chapter 11 is, is dealing with the, with the third, so with the, the torso of bronze uh, and, and the leopard, which represents the, the Greek empire. So in, in verse 2, there's, there's, verse 2 is, is the Persian empire gets one verse, and that's verse 2. Three kings followed by a fourth, which was uh, very wealthy, and, and they stirred up trouble with the uh, the Greek Empire, and then you get in verses 3 and 4, it talks about a mighty king coming to power in in Greece, and we know him to be Alexander the Great, who came swept in militarily very fast and efficient, um, conquered a lot of territory in a very short amount of time, but uh, Alexander Alexander the Great would come to an untimely end in his early 30s, and so his uh, empire was or his leadership was extinguished fairly early on. And in the territory that he left, there was a kind of a tug of war, a battle between four of his generals. And so his, his kingdom was split up into uh, four pieces. And verses 5 through 35 in chapter 11 talk very specifically about two of the four pieces of the Greek empire of how uh, after Alexander that it was split up. And so the two are, uh, one of the generals' name was Ptolemy, and his kingdom that he set up was, uh, let's just call it Egypt. So if you can picture on a map where Egypt is, that's where Ptolemy set up his, his kingdom. So a king of the south. And then another general was Seleucus, and he set up his kingdom uh, further north. And so if you can imagine on a map where Syria and Mesopotamia lie there in the Middle East, that's where Seleucus had his kingdom set up. So he was the, the first king of the north, if you will. Now, the whole section, 5 through 35, talks specifically about the kings of the north and the kings of the south. And so during this time span, I know this is a little dry and it's a little boring. That's okay. It won't kill you, uh, but it won't hurt you either. So kings of the north, kings of the south, there were 13 of them in the time period that we're talking about. And they were in this constant competition for dominance. Now, their borders kind of touched in the middle of Israel, created a constant uh, war zone, if you will. And in their tussle 
for dominance, for control. Uh, a lot of times it was through deception and failed alliances. Uh, there were some arranged marriages. There was murder. Um, you know, great Hollywood TV kind of stuff in chapter 11. Um, verse 27, I think, explains it well. It says, they will sit, talking about the kings, they will sit at the same table and lie to each other. They'll sit at the same table and they'll lie to each other. You know, we've got to be careful about just picking stuff out of the text and overlaying it into our own times. But I think Daniel's vision is one that in successive generations we get a picture of the reality of how humans deal with one another. And I think verse 27 explains some of our political climate to a T. They sit at the same table and they just lie to one another. Much of verses 5 through 35, we find, uh, you know, the deception and, uh, you know, failed alliances and so forth, but most of it's just by brute force and war. We're just going to attack one another. So for about 150 years here, there was turmoil between these two kingdoms as they were vying for power and dominance in the region. So I'm an I'm a image kind of a person. I like pictures. And when I read through chapter 11, it was, kind of made my head swim a little bit because I couldn't keep track of which king of the south, which king of the north. And, and, and I think if you don't see a plot or you'd you think you lose the plot going through chapter 11, I think, I think you're getting it. I think that's the point. There really isn't a plot. It's just humans attacking one another. And, and so what I finally did is I just got out a map. And every time it said a king of the north attack the king of the south, I drew an arrow, and you draw it right down through Israel to Egypt. And every time that it said there is a king of the south who went up and attacked the king of the north, I drew an arrow in the other direction, right through Israel. And quickly, it becomes blatantly obvious to you what Daniel was, was trying to say here, is that this time period for the people of Israel was horrible. Because you had people at up in the north and people down in the south who were fighting one another and, and it was like this epic tug of war between empires and, and Israel was the rope. Have you ever thought about that? You played the game tug of war? You know, what happens to the rope? It's, it's getting stretched and pulled in two different directions. Have you ever seen a tug of war where the rope broke? It's actually kind of funny. <laughs> it's a cheap laugh. <clears throat> But imagine how the rope, if rope had feelings, how it would feel if it was in this epic tug of war between two empires. That's, that's the picture that we get of Israel. She had been crisscrossed time and again. Israel was the war zone. Israel was the battle line between these two empires who were trying to... Uh, uh, exert their dominance and, and control, and she couldn't do anything about it. And so sometimes it felt like, uh, you know, Israel was just, you know, a casualty in, in the war, and sometimes it actually felt like the empires turned and, and Israel was the target herself. And this is the picture that, that Daniel is, is given here. 
The, the rest of chapter 11 uh, talks about the wickedness of Antiochus and the spiritual implications of his actions. He was one who saw himself as a god, and he attempted to exalt himself over and above every other god, and he directly challenged Yahweh at every opportunity that he had. So Daniel is given this, this, this vision that's kind of a prototype of how humans treat one another, one that is repeated over and over throughout history. There's a cycle of evil, a cycle of violence, of uh, control, of forcing other people to do what you want, domination. And God's people were often caught in the middle. That's the picture that we get. And so we can reapply Daniel's vision in our own struggles, and we can realize that it's not just us, you know, when we feel like, you know, we're just getting beat up in our lives, like we don't, we don't see a turn in sight, we don't see an end in sight, we can look to Daniel's story and we can recognize that the people have struggled like this forever. And we can listen to God's reassurance to Daniel. Uh, in the first part of chapter 12, uh, the vision moves forward in time to the future, to the, what's known or called as the time of the end. But it, the picture isn't one that's very specific. I don't think it's meant to be. We're given just enough to learn that, that God has a plan, that He sees the condition of humanity and the wicked ways in which we treat one another. And he reassures Daniel there's going to be an end to all of it. How and when, we don't know. He, we aren't told. That Daniel doesn't, he's confused. Daniel doesn't understand. He wants more information. He asks for more, explain more. And, and the angel doesn't give it to him. He says, go on your way, Daniel. It's kind of like you get to the end of a movie and there's like, you, you know that because, you know, it's like, at the two-hour mark, and, you know, it's about done, and it doesn't seem like there's any resolution to the plot, and, and then the screen just goes black, and then up come the words, what, to be continued. So you're left at the end of the movie like, all that, and I don't know what's going to happen. i got to wait. Daniel sees this vision, gets this vision from the angel, and he's like, okay, give me more. This is, this is, you're on the right track, angel. Good job. I need a little bit more because it's not quite all there. And the angel says, nope, the scroll is sealed. You're going to have to wait. But I've given you enough to reassure you that it will be okay. I, I want to read the last part of Daniel chapter 12 for you starting in, in verse 5. Daniel writes, if you don't have your core grid out, you can, that's a good opportunity to get that out and take some notes. Daniel says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank of the river. And one of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, you get this picture in your mind? 
this section right here is the river, okay? And so there's one person that Daniel's talking to on this side of the river in this section over here, and one person is over here on, on this side of the river, and, and then there's, there's a third person that's involved in this, and he's hovering right over the middle here. It's Jesus, in my estimation. How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? They're asking this person hovering in the middle. The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed." I heard, but I did not understand. Daniel, the wise man, right? The one who interpreted dreams and visions, the one who people went to for advice, he gets this vision. He doesn't understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. And blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you... Go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Hmm. There's two questions that are on Daniel's mind in, in this section of Scripture. The first one is, how long, Lord? How long will this go on? How long will our struggle last? How long will I deal with this health diagnosis? How long will I deal with financial struggle? How long will I deal with rebellious kids? How, how long will I be persecuted for my faith? How long will I be in exile? How long, O oh Lord, is one question. And his second question is, and what's next? Do you ever wonder that question? What's next? We get caught up in what's going on in the immediate, and sometimes it's so overwhelming that we just have to ask God, what comes next? Because I don't have a picture of what that looks like right now. The angel's not specific in his timing, but he announces that suffering only lasts for a season. And to the second question, uh, what is next? Heaven confirms suffering is not, the, is not the last word. There will be another word that comes to you. Now, both of those are answers, I guess, but both leave a lot of things unanswered, like how and when. What we gather from the answers is that, that God 
is working to bring all things to completion in his timing. And in the meantime, we must live in our situation with a radical trust in God. So there's, there's really three things that I think that we can pull out of this text as a way to encourage our hearts today. And the first thing is, we have to believe that suffering only lasts for a season. Daniel calls us into this worldview, this mindset, that, that we believe that suffering only lasts for a season. From start to finish in the book of Daniel, uh, it makes it clear that the human experience is filled, is filled with suffering and heartache from beginning to end. At the very beginning, we find that, that four young boys are ripped from their homeland in Judah and they're taken into an evil empire and, and, and dropped. We learn that not just those four people, but, but all of Israel and Judah are, are exiled somewhere else. We read about the exploits of the evil kings of these empires over here and, and how the people are treated there. And we may not feel that exact pain, but we have our own pain and suffering and disappointments in, in our lives that, that we wrestle with every single day. We can look around and we recognize that people were just good at creating conflict. We are good at oppressing other people. And, and a lot of times, Maybe it's not intentional, but we oppress other people because we're out busy you know, trying to advance our own agenda and become self-sovereign. Like, you know, I rule my own life. And when everybody, when every person, if you think about it, if every person lived entirely for themselves, what would happen? It would all unravel. And sometimes in our struggle to try and exert dominance in our own life, you know, somebody's left in, in the wake and we don't realize it. Daniel says that these people, these empires, these kings, the, these social structures rise out of the sea of, of evil and chaos and are constantly perpetuating violence and destruction in this world. And a lot of times, in particular, that gets turned on the people of God. So our question is Daniel's question, how long, Lord, will this go on? Now, references to time in the book of Daniel do not answer our question with what we want to hear. I want something uh, specific. I'd like a timetable. Uh, I'd like a direct answer. But what we're given is often pretty vague. Earlier in the book, there was an answer to a time question with 2,300 evenings and mornings. Well, what kind of an answer is that? And then we just read, well, it'll be a time, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. Well, can you just tell me, like, is that three and a half years? Is it, what, what is that? Then we get 1,290 days or 1,335 days. Now, while it sounds specific, if you go back and look, it's, it's not talking about specifics there. It's, it's saying that there will be a period of time, and after that, there will be an end to to all of this. It's kind of like I remember working on a summer job and the person that I worked for, you know, we were out doing lawn care and 
In the Midwest, in the middle of summer, it's not only hot, but it's also humid. And when you're pushing that mower, you know, the question on your lips is, how long will this go on? Hey, boss, how long are we working today? Till we're done. You like that answer? You ever get an answer kind of like that? How long are we going to Just give me a time, like 2.45. Is that okay? Can we say 2.45? No, till we're done. It's not a satisfying answer. So we, want, we have this, how long will this go on, Lord? And we get an answer for a time, times, and half a time. It's not really the answer that I want, God. That's the answer that he gives to Daniel. God doesn't give him a definitive answer. The answer is your trouble will not last forever. There is an end that has been determined. The number of days, the number of months, the number of years might remain unclear, but God has appointed a time to deal with matters on this earth. There will be a time of accountability for those who oppress. Chapter 5, we read about Belshazzar, who was you know, rebellious against God, who, who desecrated the temple, who you know, treated the people you know, with scorn, and he saw the writing on the wall. And the writing on the wall for him is, there will be a time when you're held accountable. And God reassures us that whatever we're facing right now is only for a t- there will be an end. I like how Jim Edlin, he's an author I've been, been reading, professor. He says basically what God says here is the length of your affliction will be shorter than its intensity makes it seem. We've got to believe that suffering only lasts for a season. Number two is that we need to trust that suffering is not the final word for a believer. Our faith calls us to think beyond this earthly existence. Our faith is more than trusting God's control of timing of events in this world. It calls us to embrace the assurance that that God's rule extends beyond this world. The psalmist is constantly reminding us, like in Psalm 30, he says, God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime which extends beyond um, our earthly existence. And, and we can testify that weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. There's life after your struggle. You have to trust that suffering is not the last word for a believer. According to Daniel's vision, part of our hope lies in being vindicated for faithful living. And we look forward to receiving the reward and inheritance that that Peter says will never perish, it will never spoil, it will never fade because it is kept in heaven for us. Eugene Peterson, he, he writes, he says, every story needs an ending. And Daniel's is an encouraging one. It it helps us live with present uncertainties without panic or despair. In spite of the obscene desecration of what God holds sacred, we aren't told to boycott or band together to batter our enemies. 
We're told simply to go about our business without fretting or worrying, to relax. Because when it's all over, and one day it will be over, we will be the ones left standing, awaiting our reward. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church to encourage their hearts when they were wavering. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And Peter, he writes to his group of believers, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And the apostle John he wrote Revelation. He said, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Daniel survived the Babylonian Empire. Daniel survived the Persian Empire. And in the end, we are told that he will survive death itself in the resurrection. And if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God, we too will stand with Daniel in the resurrection. The Lord Jesus left us with these words in John. He, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am." You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You know, the future reward is eternal life in the presence of our Creator. But there is a present reward that is uncovered here. And the present reward is that we can know God now. Third thing that I think we can use to encourage us today is that our struggles and our suffering they demand something of us. They demand a radical trust in God. Daniel asked about how all of this would turn out, and the angel told him, go on your way. That's not a really nice thing to say, is it? Go on your way. I don't want to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. What the angel was saying is, that's not, that's not for you to know. Parents, we're, we're famous for this, aren't we? Every parent has mastered this one, I think. Kids keep asking you questions. Why? Why? Because I said so. It's not really the answer that you want, right? I, I think Daniel asked this question. He got the because I said so answer. Daniel, that's enough questions for now. Go on your way. What does that all mean? I think Daniel is challenged to be satisfied with what has already been revealed. 
he's, he's challenged to find some satisfaction within his heart. Sometimes I think um, that we get caught up in all of the, the details that we think matter, and, and God, is, God wants to change our focus from being internally focused to being outwardly focused. And I think the angel reminds Daniel, okay, we've, we've given you answers. We've given you things to encourage your heart, to let you know that it's only going to be for a time, that suffering won't be the last word, that there is life on the other side of this. Now, now go and live your life in accordance with what, you have, what has already been revealed. He was challenged to press on living and trusting and waiting on the Lord. Change your focus, Daniel. Instead of being bent inward and ruminating all the time on the struggle and, and the pain, go on living your life faithfully for me as I have outlined it. We don't like waiting. Are you like waiting? Nobody likes waiting. Not one. We were unanimous in one thing. None of us like waiting. But our culture, uh, or in our culture, we, we would rather buy books like Your Best Life Now because we don't want to wait. We read, we read Scripture and it nudges us to be okay with God delaying and doing things in His own timing. And we're in the middle of a culture that says, no, you don't have to wait on God. You can have your best life right now. And we get fooled into thinking that if, if we don't have our best life right now, that we're doing our faith wrong. And that's a lie. A biblical faith is one that calls us to live in the midst of our struggle and our pain and our disappointments, trusting that God will one day make it okay. A message like this one um, that reminds us of these things, that we have to wait in our struggles, a message that reminds us that things happen in God's timing and not our own, and that we will find ourselves in turmoil. And Well, it's, it's not a real popular thing to say out loud. But I think I know better. I think I, think I know us. I think I know where we are and where we live and the things that we deal with. Another author I've been reading, her name's Wendy Witter, and she says, plenty of dreams will die on this side of the grave. But on the other side of the resurrection will be never-ending newness. So we need to hear this reminder. We need to hear this reminder often. We need to remind each other of these things. We need to be reassured that despite our circumstances that might look bleak in the moment, and despite any emptiness we might feel, despite the pain that, that's filling us in these moments, that God does in fact hear us from the moment we first speak it out loud. And that Somehow in God's providence, He has all things under the control and He is working to bring them to completion, that, that there is life beyond the grave of your circumstances. And so we wait together. 
We don't wait passively, but we're encouraged to wait actively. We don't wait in a spirit of timidity, but we wait confidently. We wait expectantly till the time of the end, we're told. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come. People of God said, Amen.